0: I, wanted to, I want to settle all the debates through this question. It's a multiple choice question. Who is the GOAT? I'm talking about the greatest of all time. A, LeBron James. B, Kobe Bryant. C, Michael Jordan. Or D, none of the above. <laughs> Trick question. My favorite basketball player happens to be Kobe Bryant. But I think that Michael Jordan was probably the greatest basketball player of all time. But I'm not speaking of basketball today. I'm speaking who is the greatest of all time. Now, I'm sure that that you could rattle off all the statistics of each of those individuals and maybe have a great presentation of why you think Michael Jordan or Kobe or LeBron James or any of them are, are the best basketball player. But I submit to you today that as we travel into the book of Hebrews... I believe this whole book reveals to us who is the greatest of all time. And as great of a basketball player, great as uh, individuals as some of these people might be, I believe that they do not compare to the greatness of the Son of God or Jesus Christ. Today, church, I want to share with you um, why I believe Jesus is the goat or the greatest of all time. Today, as we look into this passage, we see that as we look into this whole book, that Jesus is greater than everybody who's ever lived. and by the way, I'm pretty sure Jesus could take any NBA basketball player on the court if he wanted to. Um, but that's another conversation for another day. Today, I want to remind you that Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Aaron, the high priest in the Old Testament, and Jesus is better than everybody else in this world who has existed, who is existing, and who ever will exist. Today, I want to just relay what I've been sharing with you from the other two verses. Jesus is the best there was, the best there is, and the best there ever will be today I want to continue to answer my question why is Jesus better or why is Jesus the greatest of all time today I believe that so far in verse number two we looked at two thoughts in verse number excuse me verse number one we looked at two thoughts in verse number two we looked at three thoughts but today as we come to verse number three I want to share with you five final thoughts just briefly as as God gives me the time today to do this I want to share with you five reasons in extension to verses one and two why I believe Jesus is the greatest of all time or better than anything else in this world the first thought comes from the first portion of verse number three look at it the bible says who being the brightness of his glory i wrote down this jesus is better because he is the glorious god jesus is better because he is the glorious god notice that these verses are all connected there's an introduction in verse number one speaking beginning with god and let me share this with you life eternity everything began with god and our lives each day should begin with God. I, I heard what one preacher said. He said, we either wake up and say, good morning, Lord, or good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> so I hope that we all wake up saying, good morning, Lord. And here it says, God, who in Ways in time past spoke through the prophets. There was a time period in the Old Testament age that God's spokesmen, God's agents of revealing His Word were these men. And sometimes God rose up some women to do that when no men were willing to stand for God. And then verse number four, the Bible says that in these last days, and as I shared before, since the days that Jesus ascended up into glory, we're living in the last days, but I'm just... I just believe, as Brother Andrew shared on Tuesday morning, that we are living in the last of the last days. I believe the Bible gives us road signs to share with us the times that Jesus is going to be coming again very soon. And I believe that all that's going on in the world today, I believe it's all lining up and setting up the stage for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's important that we're ready each day to stand before God. But then he goes on to say that how Jesus is appointed heir of all things, and he made the world's made the world, made the universe. And then it travels to verse number three. And all this is connected. I wrote down, Jesus is better because he is the glorious God. I believe his glory, the radiant beams of his majesty, shines through creation. As you look out at the mountains in Virginia and on this side of the country, I believe you see the radiant beams of the glorious God Jesus Christ. You go to the western part of the United States and you, you look at, at the Yellowstone National Park or you look at the Grand Canyon National Park, you look at places like that, I believe you see the glorious hand of God in His creation. And by the way, I know last week we emphasized how Jesus is better because He is the Creator God. And I want you to know this, that one of the greatest evidence that there is a Creator is the creation itself. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that the invisible things of Him are clearly seen from the creation of the world. Today, church, I believe that you, me, the animals, the plants, is all a reflection of the glorious hand of God in creation. How do we know this building had a maker? Well, because the building is here. How do we know that a painting had a painter by the painting itself? How do we know that an automobile had an automobile maker because of the automobile? And if we use that same logic, we have to say that as we look out into the cosmos, as we look out into the universe, as we look out into the world, it is the evidence that there is a God. And His glory shines through creation. His glory also shines through salvation. That the glorious God, the God who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great I am, the one that was, the one that is, the one that forever will be, left His glorious throne in heaven and came and humbled Himself to be born in a little stable. His glory shines through salvation, shines through the cross, shines through the resurrection, shines through the Spirit of God coming and making His residence in your life so that you can become a child, a regenerated child of God. I believe His glory shines through creation. It shines through salvation. And listen, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, hey, listen, it's time to get that settled. It's time to bow your knee and confess Jesus is Lord. It's time to say, Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need you to save me and forgive me and cleanse me from all of my sins. I also believe that His glory shines through sanctification. Not just through salvation. There was a moment when God saved you. There was a moment when God spoke and the worlds were created. But then I believe that the It begins after salvation, this process of sanctification. Yes, when we get saved, we are instantly sanctified and set apart from all the world. And now we're regenerated with the Holy Spirit of God. But then there's a process from the time that we get saved until the day that Jesus calls us home, that he is forever conforming us more to the image of God. So hear me out now today. As a child of God, we can make the choice that for the rest of my days, I'm going to seek to get more conformed. I'm going to seek to be more like Jesus. Or we can make the choice and say, all right, I'm regenerated, but I'm going to put that on pause and I'm going to let the world conform me to their image. Listen, I believe that the powers that are in this world are sometimes so powerful that we may not see them working. And see, Satan wants us to pull, he wants to pull us away from God, but the Spirit of God wants to pull us to God and even closer. So today, church, I want you to know this, that through the process of sanctification, we see the glorious hand of God in your life and in my life. That song we say, I, that the Lord is still working on me. I'm not who I was. And today I know that, hey, I'm not who I used to be. And I know that Jesus is still working on me and I need a whole lot of work. And listen, before you get filled with pride, so do you. We all need work. The process of sanctification, the salvation and creation, all reveal the glorious hand of God. Why is Jesus better? Because he is full of glory and full of splendor. He has more majesty than any NBA all-star, any major league baseball player, any athlete, any musician, anybody ever. He has more splendor than any king of any nation. He is the glorious God. That's why he's better. You see, Moses wasn't a glorious God. Aaron wasn't a glorious God. The angels weren't gods. Lucifer's not a god. Jesus is the glorious God the brightness of His glory. Check it out now. The the verse goes on to say, and the express image of His person. Remember, the first word is God of the the first three verses. And when He begins to speak about the Son of God, He says that the Son shines the brightness of the glory of God. And then it says that The Son is the express image of the person of God. So I wrote down this. Jesus is better because he is the Almighty God. Jesus is better because he is the Almighty God. I want you to know this. I'm I'm pretty confident that we are all aware of this. But Jesus was not just a man. He was the God-man. Jesus was not a God, as some people like to present him as. Jesus is the God incarnated in flesh. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because the Bible clearly teaches that. And so, very briefly, I want to share with you several passages of scripture. I haven't written down all of them in my notes here, and if you want them, I'd be glad to send you my notes. But but I want you to draw your attention to Mark chapter two. In Mark chapter two, we see Jesus is in a, the city of Capernaum, and there he's teaching in somebody's house. And listen, he was the Bible says he was bringing the word to them. And isn't that what we should be doing in the house of God? Listen, I know that illustrations and stories are fun and, and great and and dandy, and 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 there's a time for a motivational speech. But when we gather together, I want the word. Word of God being presented. And when you teach or when you do that, I want you to be presenting God's word, not your opinion. And so when my opinion doesn't line up with God's word, let's go with God's word. When your opinion did not line up with God's word, let's go with God's word. But then in Mark chapter two, the Bible says that this place was so crowded and there was a crippled man, a paralyzed man, and they brought him to the door. They couldn't get in. So they they went on top of the roof and opened up the roof and, and, and brought the man down. And Jesus took note of the faith. And he said, sons, thy sins be forgiven thee. And these, these religious people, they looked and they said, I'm just going to bring it into redneck English. Ain't nobody had the power of God to forgive sins but God himself. When those people said that, they were saying that if you can forgive sins, you are God in the flesh. In John's gospel, not just Mark, but John declared Jesus was God. In the first verse of John's letter of the, of, the, of the gospel of John, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Speaking about Jesus. And John chapter 5, verse number 18, I want to read this verse to you. John's gospel Chapter 5, verse 18, maybe you can take a mental note of it. But it says these words. It says, Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father. Check it out now. Making himself equal with God. John, chapter 8. In verse number 58 the Bible says this Jesus said unto them verily verily I say unto you before Abraham was I am remember Moses remember when God said hey hey uh, uh, Moses I want to use you in that burning bush and and Moses he he he, uh, he uh, ha, 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 had a stuttering problem okay he couldn't speak very clearly And he said, hey, it's okay. I'm going to use you. I'm going to raise up another guy who's going to speak for you. And then Moses says, well, hey, when I get down back to the congregation of Israel, who should I tell him sent me? (coughs) Say, I am that I am sent you. And Jesus says this. He says, before Abraham was, I am. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. When Jesus said, I am the door. When Jesus said, I am the true vine. When Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He was literally saying, hey, I am that I am. I am almighty God. John's gospel, chapter 10 and verse 30, it tells us this. I and my father are one. John chapter 14, the the great verses that we use about the mansions in glory But in John chapter 14 and verse number nine, the Bible says, he that has seen me has seen the father. In John's gospel, chapter 20, verses 28 and 29, we read about Thomas and he said, my Lord and check it out now. He said, my God, Thomas declared Jesus was God in the flesh. Romans, Paul also, not just John, not just Mark, but, but Paul believed that Jesus was God. In Romans chapter nine and verse number five, this was a verse that, that I've just recently been uh, that the, the Lord revealed to me, even though I've read through Romans countless times, it says this, It says, "Who are the fathers of and of whom are as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Paul says that Jesus was God who's blessed forever. In Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 we read that great heavenly hymn where the Bible says that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 19 we read about how how God created the world and Jesus was the one who did that. So therefore Jesus is God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 it says great is the mystery of godliness God was manifested in the flesh. In Titus chapter number two, the Bible says, looking for that great and glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then our book that we're studying, the very first chapter here in verse number eight, it says, but unto the Son he saith thy throne, O God. He says to the Son that he is God. And then 1 John, the last one I want to share with you. 1 John chapter five and verse number 20. It says, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ. Hear it out. Hear it out. Listen to this. This is the true God and eternal life. Jesus is better because He is Almighty God. The Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. And the Jesus of the New Testament is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. So when you read the Old Testament, you read about Jehovah God, you're literally reading about Jesus. And when you are reading the New Testament about how Jesus came and He turned water into wine and how He raised the the dead and, and how He gave sight to those who were blind, we're reading about Jehovah God who was incarnated in the flesh. Jesus is Almighty God. Why is He better? Well, because he's the glorious God and because he's almighty God. But now I want to share with you, thirdly, I, I look, look at the next part of the verse. The Bible says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. But then check it out now. It says, and upholding all things by the word of his power. I wrote down this. Jesus is better because he is the all-powerful God. Listen, if he can speak the cosmos into existence, don't you think he can hold it all together? I, I ask a lot of questions and, and as a student, you know, when I was... In high school or college or whatever you know, I, I'm sure that the teacher didn't like me and I know that as Pastor English, when he was the pastor here I would have all these questions about the Bible I was reading and studying and, and, and I would go to him and ask him all these sorts of questions, different questions and, and he would be so gracious to, to help me out and to better understand everything but, but here's a question I have for all of us what keeps the earth in orbit? listen to this the earth spins around 1000 miles per hour And then the, that's the rotation. Then it orbits around the sun around 67,000 miles per hour. That's eight and a half miles per second. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five Mississippi. There goes a hundred miles. That's fast. What or who holds it there? (laughs) We're told that if the earth was one inch closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. And if the earth was one inch further away from the sun, we would all freeze to death. Here's my other question. What holds an atom together? Who holds an atom together? In an atom, there are three fundamental forces that hold it together, an article says. It says the electromagnetic force, the strong force, and the weak force. It says the electromagnetic, the electromagnetic force keeps the electrons attached to the atom. The strong force keeps the protons and neutrons together in an atom. As I was reading all these articles, I I began to think to myself, well, I'm sure they're going to be talking about Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader and lightsabers here in a few seconds because they keep talking about the force. I want you to know this. What is that force? It's the hand of God. The word of His power, His word is holding everything together. And in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17, the Bible says, that of him all things consist. In other words, he's keeping it all together. He's holding the atom together. He's holding the earth in place. Here's another question for you. Listen to this. Why doesn't the sun collapse or explode? We are told by scientists that the the sun produces hydrogen and that fuels the sun to give off the beams. But one day we are told that hydrogen is going to run out and it perhaps will turn to helium and then the sun will slowly fade away. How come the sun just doesn't blow up or just disintegrate? Because God is keeping it going. Why doesn't the moon collide into the Earth? I mean, imagine who holds gra- who cre- who keeps gravity doing what gravity's supposed to do. So if we believe that God is the one keeping the earth into orbit and rotating it and making sure he doesn't get closer to the sun and and its rotation, all that stuff, and then if we believe that that God is the one holding the atom together, if we believe all that and that that God is is keeping the sun fueled and and is not giving it too much, not giving it too less, and then keeping the moon right there in orbit so we can see a little bit at night and and to where we can have the the oceans give uh, uh, the, the tides and all that stuff, if God can hold that all together, then here's the question I have for us. Who holds your life together? Who holds my life together? God. God holds it all together, church. And so if he can keep all the earth and the solar system in in its functions, then don't you think that God can hold all of your life together? Listen, you might be here today and you might be thinking, hey, my life is in utter shambles right now. Well, hey, listen, sometimes God allows life to just break into pieces so he can take one piece at a time and put it back together. Jesus is the all-powerful God. And His Word is holding everything into place. Even your life and my life. Why is Jesus better? Because He's the all-powerful God. He's the almighty God. He's the glorious God. And then i want to share with you fourthly. Jesus is better because He is the purging God. Probably the most important truth, maybe, in this verse. He's the purging God. Look at the verse. It says, it goes on to say, When He had by Himself purged our sins. I know Mary was, was the bearer of the Son of God gave birth to Jesus, but the Bible says that it wasn't Mary and Jesus who purged our sins. The Bible didn't say Mary, Joseph, and Jesus purged our sins. The Bible says that Jesus himself purged our sins. This word purged, it literally means to thoroughly cleanse from all manner of sin. In Mark's Gospel, the very first chapter, we read about a leper coming to Jesus and he, the Bible says that Jesus says, you're clean, be clean. Now go show yourself to the priest. We read about Joseph and Mary in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, how they went during the days of her purification after childbirth. And the Bible says that the same word that was used in that purification and the same word that was used for cleanse in Mark's, chap, uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, with the leper is the same word being used right here when the Bible says purged. Purged. It means that Jesus can take every filthy thought that you've ever thought, every dirty word that you've ever said, and every wicked deed you've ever done, and he can wipe it away. I mean everything. I'm talking about, you know, God can wipe away the lies that I've told. God can wipe away the lustful thoughts we've had. He can wipe away the sexual sin we've got into. God can wipe away drunkenness. He can wipe away everything, church. And today he has the power to do that. And so when the Pharisees were looking at him and saying, hey, hey, if you can really forgive sin and cleanse us from our sin, then you've got to be God. Well, listen, church, newsflash, he was God. And he's able to forgive you of your sins. And here the truth that I believe the writer of Hebrews is conveying right here in the gate of this chapter, right in the beginning, he's saying this, that if you are lost, if you need your sins forgiven, Jesus is the only one that can do it. I know that some of you guys are pretty cool. Yeah, you're awesome. But you can't forgive me of my sins. And I know that I can't forgive you of your sins. Only Jesus can do that. That's why He's better. Because He is able to purge you from your sins. You see, He loves us so much that He will accept us as we are. But when we come into His presence and we receive salvation, we are forever changed and conformed to His image. And then we begin that Christian life. Look at the last part of the verse. It says, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Here's what I wrote down. The fifth thought. Jesus is better because he is the exalted God. Jesus is better because he is the exalted God. You know, This kind of phrase right here about sat down at the right hand of God. We read about Jesus standing. He's at or he's seated at the right hand of God. Occurs about 16 times in the New Testament. And my mind is like, well, if Jesus is God, then why is he seated beside God? You ever had that question? It's a fair question. And here's what it means. When the Bible says that Jesus sat down on the right hand of God, or he's at the right hand of God, or standing, it literally means that he has, it's, it's a figure of speech, church, that he has the equal position, equal honor, equal power, and equal authority as the one sitting on that throne. That, that God's throne is Jesus' throne, and Jesus' throne is God's throne because they are one. It's interesting that the only time Jesus is standing at the right hand of God is when Stephen, in the book of Acts chapter 7, was being stoned after preaching that message to the, to the Jewish people. And the Bible says that he stood there, and there's been a lot of commentators try to say, Hey, what does that mean? Well, I, I, I kind of lean with one of, one of the individuals, and they, and they kind of made this suggestion, that, that when Jesus stood, he was receiving Stephen, Through the persecution, he was accepting the way that he preached the message and that he was delivering him from that persecution through the agent of death and coming up into glory. Powerful. Throughout Romans and Peter and Matthew and Luke and Acts and Colossians and Hebrews, we read about seating at the right hand of God. Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, we read about Lucifer. We read about how he was consumed with himself. He was consumed with pride. And he wanted that seat. And the Bible tells us that he led a revolt that took about one-third of the angelic beings with him. And the revolt was so strong, he was trying to get that throne where God was. And the holiness of God and the judgment of God threw him out of heaven. I say that to say this, that the throne where God sits, it will only be occupied by him. I can't sit there. You can't sit there. Satan can't sit there. It's his throne. And he will rule. And as we read about the majesty on high, we know that the Bible teaches that he is going to come and rule and reign here on the earth in the days to come. And let's prepare for that. So may I ask you again, who is the goat? A. LeBron James. B. Kobe Bryant. C. Michael Jordan or D? None of the above. D is the right answer if you're wanting the right answer. Jesus is the greatest of all time. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called. Jumpstart your faith 30 days to a renewed faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbryanratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you, and have a great week.